starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast. But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. I am your host, Bela Day. And first and foremost, if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate you. You're a real one, period. And if you are a new listener, well, then welcome. And you are definitely in for a treat. And I do hope after this episode, you will come back again. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Teen Movie. So I will be sharing my favorite movies that star teenagers. Now, this is the second episode within the Back to School Edition series because like I stated in episode 12, but Ma, that's my favorite kid in a movie. I wanted to do like a neat little back to school theme since of course kids are going back to school. Now, of course, things are a little different in the times that we're in because school is virtual versus in person. Now, granted, there are some schools that did go back in person and some that went virtual, but that's besides the point. I just thought it would be really cute to, you know, just do something pertaining to what's going on now. Now, before we get into our actual movies today, I wanted to play a trivia game. Now, within these teen movies, you will be quite surprised that most actresses and actors are totally not even teenagers. Now, it may it may be surprising, it may not be surprising to you, but I know a lot of the times in older movies, a lot of adults looked like teenagers, like they could get away with playing a teen character. And mind you, sometimes they're in their late 20s, sometimes in their 30s, it just depends. I know Disney uh, has a bit of a track record of having some older well, having adults play teen characters, but I mean, if they have that youthful, if they have that youthful look, I mean, why not? So, so today's trivia game is going to be called "Teen or Not a Teen." That is the question. So, I'm going to go ahead and list off some teenagers from different teen movies. And I'm just going to give you a couple seconds for you to guess if they're a teen or not a teen. Um, and then we'll just kind of go through those. And this is kind of similar uh, to, well, this is a different game, but we played a trivia game last time. And so I wanted to do this because I just think it's super uh, interesting and, and kind of neat. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So the first actress up is going to be Kirsten Dunst in the movie Bring It On. Teen or not a teen? So she is actually, and and a lot of these, because um, give or take, 
while they actually filmed it, they were, I don't know if this was filmed that same year, if it was filmed like a year ago, two years ago, you never really know, but I'm just going to be basing it off of when the movie came out and how old they were. All right, so she actually had just turned 18 that April because Bring It On actually released on August 22nd and her birthday was in April, so she had just turned 18 that year. Now, mind you, if they filmed it that previous year, then she was technically 17 when the movie came out. But I didn't feel like doing all that research, so we just we're going by the release date. Okay, the next person we have up is Gabrielle Union or not a teen and this is based on she was in bring it on as well she was definitely way past teen <laughs> she was actually 27 and was gonna turn to and yeah and was going to turn 28 that year so so yeah she was either 27 26 around the filming of this movie which is crazy because she definitely looked like a teenager. Like she could pass for 18, 19, and she was dang near 30, okay? All right, so the next one we have up, we have an actor, James Vanderbeek in the movie Varsity Blues. Teen or not a teen? He was not a teen. He was uh, 21 when the movie came out and he was gonna be like turning 22 in two months. So yes, he was definitely past, he was definitely a young adult at the time that that movie was released. Okay, the next actor we have up is Leonardo DiCaprio in Basketball Diaries. Teen or not a teen? Now, Leonardo DiCaprio, when he played in this movie, when he played in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, he looked so young. So this one's a little tricky, but I will tell you this, he was definitely not a teen. He was, tw he was 20 and he was gonna be turning 21 that year. But he looked, oh my God, like he looked about 16, 17 in this movie. He looked really, really young. And it took him a while to kind of like uh, have more of a mature look. He always had like a boyish look for the longest time, um, but yeah. All right, so the next person we have up is Brittany Murphy in the movie Clueless. Teen or not a teen? Now, Brittany Murphy, well actually, okay. Clueless was a movie that we talked about in episode five, the nostalgic episode. So, I mean, yeah, Brittany, Brittany Murphy, she looked, yeah, she definitely was young then, definitely young. That's when she still had like that baby look about her. So yeah, she was definitely a teen. She was 17 when it came out, was turning 18 that year. And like I said, give or take, they could have filmed this a year before, they could have filmed it that same year. But um, yeah, she was definitely a teen. And you could tell though, you could definitely tell. The next one we have up is Julia Stiles and 10 Things I Hate About You. Teen or not a teen? All right, so she had actually just turned 18 two days before the movie was actually released. So granted, she was definitely 18 while they were filming it, okay? And she didn't turn 18 until it was actually released. 
All right, the next person we have up is, we have Joseph Gordon Levitt. Also in 10 Things I Hate About You, teen or not a teen? He was definitely a teen. He had actually turned 18 a month before the release date. So, you know, like I've been saying, he was more than likely 17 when they actually filmed it. All right, the next person we have is John Hader, who played the famous Napoleon Dynamite. Teen or not a teen? He was definitely way past teen years, okay? He was 26 years old when that movie came out, so he was getting close to 30, okay? All right, and last but not least, we have Rachel True, who played in The Craft. The Craft, if you couldn't understand what I just said. Teen or not a teen? Um, this is a movie I definitely want to talk about in one episode because I love the craft and I have it planned what particular theme I'm going to do it under which I'm super excited about but if you've guessed already the answer is not a teen definitely not a teen she was 29 when the movie was released so she was literally going to be turning 30 that year the movie released and Oh my gosh, Rachel True is gorgeous. She, oh my gosh, she looks so youthful. So, so young. So she was 30 then. And you know, that movie came out in the 90s. I mean, golly, she looks so good for her age. I absolutely love her. All right, so y'all know what time it is. We're gonna go ahead and get started right into the movies. Let's go ahead and get started with the first one we have today. Lights, camera, Action. I kill Liz. I kill the teen dream. Deal with it. That is a quote from Courtney in the movie Jawbreaker. Uh, this is definitely a classic movie for me. I absolutely love it. Love it. Love it. This was released February 19th, 1999. The director and writer of the movie is Darren Stein. He also did the movies GFB guys i read stuff backwards okay it's gbf and also sparkler all right so let's go ahead and we're going to get into the actual summary of this movie so this movie is narrated by the character fern okay and fern is actually played by judy greer who also played in 13 going on 30 which is another movie i love uh, also played in the new revamped uh jurassic world movies so she plays Fern and she is the nerd of the school. No one really respects her. She's kind of invisible to everyone. And the only time someone talks to her is if they're being mean to her. So in the very beginning of this movie, she introduces us to the, what they call the flawless four, the most popular girls in school. So in this clique, we have Courtney, who is played by Rose McGowan. And she also plays, well, she played in the movie Scream. She also played in uh, the Grindhouse, like, edition that Quentin Tarantino did. She played in Planet Terror. She also played in Death Proof, okay? She played in both of those. Then we have uh, Marcy, 
who is played by the actress Julie Benz. Um, she played in the show Dexter. She also played in the 2008 Rambo. Uh, we have Julie, <laughs> and she is played by Rebecca Gayhart. Uh, she played in the movie Urban Legend. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which that surprised me seeing that because when I watched that movie, I don't remember seeing her. So I'll have to watch it again to look out for her to see who the heck did she play. And then we have Liz Purr, who is played by Charlotte Ayana. And she actually played in the movie Training Day. Now, Liz is actually the really nice, sweet one of the whole group. And Courtney's pretty much the leader. Marcy and Julie are the followers. So on her 17th birthday, Liz's 17th birthday, she gets kidnapped, okay? So after, right after we get introduced to these girls, there's a kidnapping of Liz, right? After we just heard that she is a sweet girl, you know, she's kind, she's empathetic, she gets kidnapped. Terrible, right? A jawbreaker is put in her mouth. Then there's tape put over her lips along with that. She's tied by her hands. Her feet are tied as well. And she ends up getting thrown into this, like, you know, picked up out of her house, thrown into the trunk. And plot twist, when the people, well, the people that kidnapped her, they're dressed in all black and they have hoodies on and these clear masks that look like they have makeup on them. But you cannot read or tell who these people are at all. So when these people throw her in the trunk and they get in the car, they instantly take off their mask. We then reveal that the kidnappers are actually Courtney, Julie, and Marcy. So these are her three friends. Okay, so, you know, this isn't a taken movie okay this is still a teenage movie we're still fun we're you know we're dealing with these teenagers here and all they're doing is pulling a harmless prank right so they basically they're excited that they they've pulled this off that everything is going perfect and they're pretty much going over their plans for the rest of the day like we're gonna stuff her face it with pancakes and then we're gonna tie her to the pole in her underwear so like you know just stuff to embarrass her you know typical friend you know duties okay and then uh they pull up to the restaurant where they're gonna stuff her face with pancakes and they know that she's gonna completely get a kick out of this right you got kidnapped like you know surprise it was just your friend who did it so they park at the restaurant they open the trunk Courtney's ready with a camera those old Kodak cameras where you can instantly get the picture and as soon as it comes out you just shake it and it develops right so they're ready to you know <laughs> take a picture of her and get the surprise dreaded look that she's gonna be giving them and when they open the trunk she is like super pale a light purple okay she's dead you can tell she's dead and the jawbreaker is actually in her throat so she swallowed it and that that it was a huge jawbreaker right so it got stuck in her throat blocked her airways killed her so of course the girls are gonna panic because they're like wait we did not expect this innocent prank to turn like if anything her being upset and mad maybe not want to be their friends but not that 
they would kill her, you know? And initially when they see that jawbreaker, Marcy's like, what is that in her throat? And Courtney's like, oh, the jawbreaker. And they're like, wait, you put a jawbreaker in her mouth? Which in the beginning, I guess maybe everything was going so fast they didn't realize that she did that. Because I think maybe she did it so fast and she put the jawbreaker and put the tape over her mouth. So they didn't even freaking notice. But then they're, of course, in panic mode because they're like, okay, we have a dead a dead friend in our trunk what are we gonna do so then Courtney is trying to think of like the best way to you know try to cover this up because Courtney ultimately knows even though this was an accident that even though you accidentally kill someone you can still purposely go to jail for it that's just how it is I mean you can have the best best intentions when you do something but if the outcome is fatal I mean, it is what it is. You just got to suffer the consequences. So, you know, initially, Julie suggests that they should go to the police. Just tell them that, you know, they didn't mean to do this. It was an accident. And Courtney knows that's not going to work. So she's trying to figure out a way to cover it up. And, you know, like, what should they tell people? And Marcy's kind of like in the middle with it. Like, she's just freaking out and panicking. Because once again, she's like the follower. She's not really like the leader in this group. So she's just you know, kind of going with what, whatever the plan is going to be. So Courtney comes up with the idea that how about they just pretend that she's sick? I mean, she is, but deadly sick. I was trying to say something clever that didn't work out. Oh, well. So, so she uh, wants to call the principal, say that Liz is sick. And initially she's trying to figure out, she asked the girls, who has the most motherly voice? And they both look at Julie and Julie's like, I'm not like, I'm not going to be a part of this. Like, I think we should tell. I'm not going to like try to cover this up. So Courtney decides, okay, well, you know what? I'll do it. She calls the principal and pretends to be Liz's mother. She tells her that she is sick. Right. And, you know, of course, um, the principal who's played by Mrs. Sherwin, she initially says, well, you know, she's been missing a lot of days in school. Like, you know, she can't really afford to miss anymore, but Courtney's trying to explain, oh, well, she's, you know, really, really sick. She can't come in. And so, of course, Miss Sherwood, who is actually played by Carol Kane, who also played in The Addams Family, The Princess Bride. And she just, you know, has no choice but to go along with it, right? So then the girls go to school and Courtney demands that they act as if everything is normal. Um, as they pretty much try to figure out their next plan of action to continue to try to cover this up. Now, um, once in school, the girls end up going to the bathroom together. And they, like, force all the girls that were currently in the bathroom out of there so they can have their, you know, me time. Just, just to try to figure out some stuff. Or just to kind of take a moment to breathe and, you know, try to uh, be as normal as possible. And as they're trying to have like their little makeup touch-up time, uh, Mrs. Sherwood comes in there. She interrupts them. She's like, hey, Liz is out. Which one of you girls is going to take her books to her? Because she knows that Liz is a part of their group. So Courtney volunteers. Then they just end up going to classes normal. You know, they have lunch. They, they end up going to their classes. They're still like have this on the mind. You literally killed someone. So you have a dead person in your trunk. So you're, of course, this is going to be on your mind. 
Then at one point, they end up having lunch. They uh, get reunited again. And uh, at this point, Courtney comes up with this whole story saying that since, you know, Liz's parents are gone, it would only make sense that she happened to have a boy over. She was trying to live out her kinky fetish or, you know, because Liz is this perfect girl. So, you know, it's going to be a shock to everyone to know that she was kinky and, you know, kind of this naughty girl to have a boy over while her parents are gone and it would sort of explain why the jawbreaker is there and you know of course teens tend to you know try to do things behind their parents back so I mean you can never put anything past anyone so they figured it would be believable enough so uh it's the end of the school day and Courtney is actually late picking up Liz's homework so Fern, which, you know, the nerd that we talked about earlier, she ends up going to ask Miss Sherwood a question. And when she does that, Miss Sherwood then asks her a favor. She goes, hey, um, you know, Courtney was supposed to come in here. She's late. Can you bring Liz assignments to her because she's sick? And of course, Fern, you could tell she really, really adores Liz. So she sees this as a great opportunity to give her her schoolwork and then also be around her, be in her presence, because she knows how sweet that she is. So Fern, you know, go ahead and gets her homework for her and is off to drop it off to her. Now, the girls, as they're leaving school, because they realize that they were late to uh, pick up the assignments, and as they're leaving school, they see Mrs. Uh, Sherwood drive about to drive off, and they stop her and they go, hey, you know, sorry about being late, you know, can you give me Liz's ass assignments? And Mrs. Sh uh, Sherwood's like, Miss Sherwood, not Mrs. If I've been saying that the whole time, I bet. But Miss Sherwood's like, oh, yeah, well, I already gave the assignments to Fern because, you know, you're late. And obviously, she probably has something to do. So she's like, I can't sit around waiting for you. So I gave him to Fern. She's going to drop him off. So then this puts the girls in panic mode because there's no assignments to drop off to Liz because Liz is dead. So then they have to race to the house to try to get there before Fern. They do end up getting there before her. And when they get there, they're basically trying to set up her body because they're going with Courtney's plan. Because Courtney's the only one who's came up with something. So that's what they're going to go with. But at the same time, Julie is not feeling it. She is like, I really, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't agree with this. And it's in this moment where, um, well, when Liz, not Liz, when uh, Julie comes up with this epiphany she there's this card because apparently they do bad pranks like this pranks to scare each other or maybe just Liz and there's this card where it literally has um where you flip it up and it's Liz's voice and she goes what are you doing to me and Julie keeps like flipping it up and they're like oh my god Marcy and uh Courtney's like stop it and she's like this is the card last year from the prank we pulled and so you know Courtney grabs it from her and like Julie and her Julie and Courtney are going head to head and then this is the moment where Courtney says the quote I kill Liz I kill the teen dream deal with it and you know, this is a significant part to the story later on. But, um, yeah, Julie's pretty much like, yeah, I'm not going along with this. This is not right. And so what happens is, is Julie is like, I'm out of here. 
Now, at this point, yes, they beat Fern there, but Fern eventually does get to the house. And when she gets into the house, she realizes that the door is open. So she opens it. She walks in. She's like, hello, hello. And as she's walking up the stairs, she hears the voices of the girls. Then when she gets by the door, like she's hearing everything that they're talking about, about, you know, how they killed her, you know, all of this stuff. And so when Julie is attempting to leave when she opens the door fern is right there then all the three girls see fern there and they're like courtney's like well what did you hear and you know fern is in shock and she doesn't want to say anything and then what makes it worse is that fern ends up looking into the room and seeing dead liz on the bed so then she tries to run off courtney all the girls chase after her and then Courtney comes up with an, yeah another plan, one of her grand schemes, okay? So she goes, hey, like, I know you heard what we were talking about, but guess what? How about you take Liz's place? I can make you beautiful. I can make you popular. You know, I can make your wildest dreams come true. You can be Liz. And, you know, initially, of course, the shock of everything, you know, Fern is like, what the heck is going on? But this is also the girl who's invisible. She's a nerd. Nobody likes her. And so if she would finally get a chance to be seen, she can kind of redeem herself in school because she hasn't had the best experience. And so she does. Um, Fern ends up going under Courtney's wing. And then it's like, Fern is in. Julie's out. Julie becomes the outcast. She becomes the one that's like hanging out with the people she never met or hanging out with the people she would have never dared talk to before, you know, ends up hanging out with the, the theater, uh, like the, not the theater crew. It's just one guy she hangs out with, but he's like the lead theater guy, the star of all the plays. And, and then of course, once, uh, Liz's parents find out that their daughter's dead, uh, an investigation starts in the school, which is where, uh, uh, Pam Greer she plays the detective let's see here yeah Pam Greer she plays detective Vera Cruz and she was in uh, Pam Greer was in Jackie Brown Mars Attacks uh, super popular back then and um, yeah they're, she's investigating the death trying to figure, get to the bottom of it the girls are still trying to act normal but at the same time they've added fern to their group Julie's like I said she's the outcast and ultimately, you know, Julie's feeling super terrible about the whole thing. And, you know, she's going to try to find a way to get the truth out. But she also doesn't want to get in trouble because she was also there as well, even though she knows it was all innocent. All right. So some standout scenes in this movie. So uh, when I was talking about before they went into school initially, when they first killed Liz, um, she Courtney says this one line. She goes, Okay, reality check. Liz is, a, Liz is in the trunk of this car and she's dead. That is sad. Fucked up thing. But you're going to walk in that school, stretch your shit down the hallway like everything is peachy fucking keen. Alright? And Courtney, Rose McGowan had such a great presence about her. She was very strong. She was the leader. She was someone that you felt like if you were going to school during that time, you would not want to mess with her. And I thought that was, that just really showed her, her place and who she is or like her position within this group, taking charge like that. Um, then I love the scene where 
uh, Courtney goes to the detective because after, you know, she came up with her story, they've tried to stage, you know, Julie on her bed to make it look like she was, you know, having sex or whatever. She tells the story to uh, Detective uh, Vera about what things that Liz was into and just the way that the, it was set up, the the song in the background, uh, just everything was absolutely perfect. And I really liked that scene. And then I really loved the ending prom scene where Courtney does end up becoming the prom queen, right? But that card I told you she had picked up when she said that line that I quoted at the beginning, it had ended up recording over uh, the, the original uh, Liz's voice from before. And so the lead... Um, let me see. What is his dang name? So the actor that she ends up hanging out with, uh, his name is Chad Christ and he plays Zach. That's his character's name, Zach. And that, um, actor, he also played in, he played in the show or the movie Gattaca. Okay. And so that, that ending scene, so they end up putting that card, um, over the loudspeaker, like they set up this mic to play over the loudspeaker that they put the card next to. And so it's like a moment where everybody's trying to like register what's going on. And then they start realizing that <laughs> that is Courtney's voice. Um, that basically her admitting that she killed Liz. And um, then there's a moment where Julie mouths to her while she's like sitting at the table. Her and Fern, they become friends because there's this whole you know hierarchy because fern is getting out of control after she gets you know that little bit of popularity uh but anyway so julie mouths to her eat shit because this is her moment because pretty much courtney was trying to terrorize her and so and like everything's like a slow motion stuff so it was really neat i like how they played out that scene um but to go over the some of the other cast members that i have not mentioned yet uh we have uh, Ethan Eric Eric Ethan Erickson who plays Dan Sanders and he was also in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. Um, we have Tatiana Ali. She plays Brenda. Uh, she played in the show Fresh Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, and then we also have a cameo from Marilyn Manson. And when I tell you when he shows up at this movie, if you did not even know that he was in it, you would have no idea. Yeah, that was him. Okay, so some trivia here. Um, the writer-director, uh, Darren Stein, originally intended to write a horror film. When he started writing the script, he based it on a... He based it on a group of girls he went to school with who would kidnap each other on their birthdays and thought, what if that went horribly wrong? In the process, he eventually realized that he was actually writing a dark comedy. Okay, who has friends that kidnap each other? <laughs> Whoa, that's crazy. So... Um, something else about Darren Stein. Int he intentionally cast older actresses as the high school leads as a homage to the films like Grease and Carrie. And Grease came out in 78, Carrie came out in 76, uh, which seemed to use actresses who were clearly in their mid-20s. So he liked that look, that they were playing teens even though they, they looked older. Um, Connie Francis, a singer, she tried to sue the producers of the film because her song Lollipop Lips is heard during a sex scene with Courtney and her boyfriend, but the suit was di suit was dismissed. I'm wondering, did they not reach out to her to get the rights to her song? 
Because in that case, she should be getting paid for it. So I'll choose too. But I'm assuming either they did get the rights, but she didn't like the context of which they used her song. That could be possible. All right. Now, Marilyn Manson, he actually got his cameo part because he was engaged to Rose McGowan at the time the movie was made. And they actually have a scene together. So I guess that only made sense. Judy Greer said that when she dressed as Fern, nobody on set paid any attention to her. When she transformed into Violet, which was the uh, girl she became once Courtney took her under her wing, all of a sudden everyone paid attention to her. Paid attention to her. However, the men on set seemed more timid while approaching her as Violet. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Was it on purpose? Maybe the director told the cast the cast and crew to do that maybe he told her like okay so it can make her get into character more that could have been very possible now this film was shot in a short and hectic 30 days see that's why i couldn't even put none of them on like the team list it was because of that fact of they were purposely put in there even though they were in their mid-20s to play teens all right so you know it's something i have to mention and i'm really going to do this with the next movie but music really makes a film you don't really realize how important music is to the whole the whole embodiment of a movie because if we didn't have music on there we we would be watching something totally different right and i felt the the vibe, the scores, the 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 music that was played within this movie was absolutely perfect to embody a teen. Like when you think of teen movies, this this is a movie that's definitely high on my list because you're going to feel like a teen again watching this movie for sure. Just because of the music, the clothes, the setting, just Everything is just absolutely so perfect in this movie. So, so perfect. All right. So, let's go ahead and we're going to get into our uh, next movie here. Lights, camera, action. Army bases are pretty dead unless you're in the army. So, I always had a lot of time to daydream. And my daydream was always the same. That someday, I was going to get to Chicago because... That's where they make dance TV. I was trying to think of like an 80s song. Okay. This quote is by the character Janie, played by Sarah Jessica Parker in the movie. Girls just want to have fun. All right. This movie was released April 12, 1985. Hence why I was trying to come up with like an 80s. 80s type of beat which I definitely felt at all right the director we have here is Alan Meter or Meter he played or he not play I'm sorry he directed uh the police academy movie um and he he did the sequel or prequel whatever one of it is he did police academy mission Moscow he directed police academy mission Moscow and the writer is Amy Spies, who wrote for television series such as Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose, Melrose Place. 
All right, so in this movie, we have Janie, who is an army kid and who has had to constantly move around pretty much all of her life um, until her dad recently retires and decides to reside their family in Chicago, which hints the quote from the beginning about, you know, dance TV being in Chicago. But anyway, so Janie, she's a new girl at um, the Catholic school. I'm assuming it's a Catholic school. They have uniforms on and there's nuns there. So, yes, I'm assuming that's Catholic. Um, she ends up meeting Lynn. Oh, okay. So, just to go back a little bit. Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, famously known for the series Sex in the City, also played in Hocus Pocus. Uh, then we have the character she meets on the bus, Lynn, who is played by Helen Hunt. Um, she was in the movie Twister, Mad About You, yeah and so she meets her on this bus and Lynn actually asks her to like cover for her because she literally starts changing out of her school uniform while on the bus now Janie when she's changing she's like oh my god what the heck is going on because you know she's covering like you know making sure no one can see her getting cha Lynn getting changed and Janie asks her, like, are you going on a date just because of, like, what she's changing into? And then Lynn's like, no, I'm just going babysitting. And there's a moment where Lynn kind of notices that Janie looks a little upset. And just to go back a little bit, Janie and Lynn share class together. When a part of that uh, quote that I told you, she had to like introduce herself in front of the class and Lynn was in that same class. So when she notices that Janie's upset, she realizes that because she has to ride on the bus all the way home, no telling how far her home is from the school, that she's gonna miss the beginning of dance TV. And she knows that she loves dance TV. So she pretty much tells her, I'm not gonna let you miss it. And she's like, you can just, you know, hang out with me so we can watch the show together. So Lynn invites her over to the house where she's going to be babysitting this little girl who's like a baby, literally a baby. She's probably like, ooh, maybe like eight, nine, ten months, something like that. So they arrive at the house and they begin to watch dance TV because it's just coming on. Now, dance TV to me, to me is basically like it's a mixture of if you remember TRL, where you have like these music requests and they always played music, and Soul Train, except minus the, there's no soul music, of course, but it's just that element of, actually, you know what? I would say dance TV was almost like an 80s pop punk version of Soul Train, because Soul Train was all about playing the music and seeing people dance and then having performances. And Dance TV was watching people literally dance, but they would like dress up in themes. So they would dress up like, you know, just different types of costumes and they would break into these dance numbers and play like all these hip new songs, right? And so both of the girls, they're watching the show and the host actually announces that they'll be having auditions to find a new dance couple. And of course, Dance TV is in Chicago, so they're going to be having the auditions in their area. And Lynn tells Janie that they should audition. And at first, Janie is hesitant because she knows her dad would not approve of her doing that. But Lynn basically says, you know, it doesn't hurt to just audition because, you know, it's not guaranteed they're going to make it. So it could just be fun, just a fun experience. So 
Janie does end up asking her dad. Of course, he says no because he does not want her to dance. Like, that's foolishness. That's silly. No. But, of course, she's a teenager. She ends up going anyway. Um, then we also get introduced to some other characters that uh, end up showing up to the audition as well. And we have Jeff, who is like this hot, athletic, I want to say like a rebel, but not like a rebel. He kind of like, he, he, you know, he beats to his own drum. He's his own guy. You know, he's not like the football type, but he is, you know, athletic and good looking. And um, Jeff is actually played by... Lee Montgomery, um, he played in the movie Ben and Burnt Offerings. Then we have Natalie, who is the spoiled, stuck-up, rich girl. I mean, she's really pretty. You know, you can tell she gets everything she wants. And she is played by Holly Gangner, or Gainier. Um, And she played in some episodes of Days of Our Lives or was possibly a recurring character on there, on that TV show or that soap opera. Um, And then we also, we also meet Drew, who is Jeff's friend. And Drew is played by Jonathan Silverman. And he played in the movie uh, Weekend at Bernie's. My sister told me about that movie. I need to watch it. And let's see. Oh, and then we also meet uh, Jeff's little sister, who is played by Shannon Doherty. And she played in the TV series Charmed and 90210. And she plays uh, Maggie. His sister's name is Maggie. So during the audition, um, it's super fun. There's all sorts of people that showed up, like all different types of styles of dancing. Um, It's super fun, crazy, you know, um, hectic as well, but, you know, it's all in good fun. And then after everyone is done dancing, showing off their talent, they do end up picking their finalists. And Janie, Jeff, and Natalie make it. Now, as they're, you know, looking at all of the finalists that they've picked, they have people who are paired up you know, that came as a couple, but they end up like kind of switching people around. And ironically, Janie and Jeff get paired together. And there was even one moment while they were auditioning where they had, were catching each other's attention, but like the other person didn't know at that time. So when Jeff and Janie get paired up, they are going to be the ones that are going to be going to like the final round, which is actually going to air on TV. And initially, their partnership is super rocky. Um, They're not really getting along very well because their first day that they were supposed to practice, Janie stands them up because she cannot get out of her house. And then um, they do end up meeting up for the first time to practice and they realize they have totally different ideas of how they want their routine to go because they have different styles. Um, also, Janie is having to like sneak, sneak around in order to practice with Jeff. And, you know, it makes things a little bit more risky, a little bit hard, but it gets, you know, easier as it goes, of course. Now, along with all of that, we have Natalie, who is feeling threatened by uh, Janie and Jeff because she knows that they are super talented and she doesn't want any competition. So she had actually sabotaged Lynn at the audition. And then she ends up sabotaging Janie when she overhears that she had snuck at a choir practice to come to practice with him. 
So she ends up calling the da- her dad and saying like, oh, you know, p- playing to be one of the sisters. Like, oh, you know, we haven't seen Janie. Do you know where she is? And the dad's like, no, she should be at school. So she ends up telling on her. Um, but Lynn is an MVP and she ends up covering for uh, Janie, <laughs> like trying to make it seem like she spun out in class and wasn't feeling good. And then that was that. So she didn't get in too much trouble. Um, but, you know, as Janie and Jeff are starting to practice more, um, they actually do start getting along a lot better and they start like really finding their groove and mixing both of their styles to where it works for both of them. And of course, you know, good things can't always stay good. So at one point when Natalie, you know, realizes that, you know, her sabotaging isn't working, she gets her dad in the mix, who her dad owns the company that Jeff's dad works at. So at one point, the dad threatens Jeff that if you compete, I can get your father fired. And so, you know, Jeff's upset about it. He has to basically sabotage his relationship with Janie. And and they've pretty much became an actual couple. Um, But he's like, you know, he doesn't want to risk his dad getting fired. But he ends up telling his dad about it. And his dad is pretty much like, I don't want you to quit because of that. Like, you know, if you believe you can win, you need to do it. And you know what? Forget what he said. You know, what happens, happens. So, of course, they do end up competing and everything is good. This movie is so cute. I love this movie. This is one of those movies that, like, I could watch over and over again. Um, it does have nostalgia for me as well. Um, and it's just, it's this is just such, such a fun movie. And um, the rest of the cast members I did not mention that we have in here. We have Biff Yeager, who played Mr. Merlaney. And he played in Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns. We have Christy Somers, who played Ricky. She played in Savage Streets, Rumblefish. Uh, Richard Blade, who played the DTV host. Um, he was mostly a writer. Um, also uh, wrote for a video beat. Then we have Ian Michael Giotti, who played Zach. And he was in uh, the TV show Seal Team. We have uh, Morgan Woodward. And then we have Ed Lauter, who played uh, Colonel Glenn. He played in the movie Cujo and Not Another Teen Movie. So some standout scenes that we have here. So there's a one scene where Drew is getting fitted for a tux. And Janie Lynn, um, they come by the store where he's getting fitted because Maggie calls them over. And he basically tells them, because they're like, you know, why are you wearing a suit? And he's like, well, I got invited to Natalie's party. And, you know, Maggie being the, well, she's the little sister of Jeff, but I think she has a bit of a crush on Drew. So you know how you treat your crushes back then you know you tell all they business and you think it's cute so she's like yeah he was only invited because of jeff and so the girls end up stealing the flyer and (laughs) when they stole the flyer from him because mind you like well he's getting i don't not just fitted but like the tailor's actually like fixing his suit to you know you know fit him to have like a formal fit 
whatever that's called. And so when they steal the flyer from him, he tries to go after them. But when he does that, you know, he has like he steps, but then like realizes he can't move because the tailor's actually working on the suit. And his tailor goes, you move, you bleed. But like (laughs) the way he did it was just, it was real perfect. I love that scene. And then we have, um... The other, another scene where it's the actual day of the audition, and this is when everyone's like showing up, you know, to the audition. And Drew and uh, Jeff are together, and he's a Drew's initially trying to sell shirts, but he realizes another guy's doing it, so he decides to not do it. And they're kind of just like watching everybody walking in. And at one point, Drew starts to try to like holler at this girl because he's like, Ooh, hot mama, what's cooking? Or he says something like that. And um, he, when the girl turns around, it's Maggie. And Maggie is, like, so excited. And um, she's like, oh, my God, like, you think I look attractive? And he's like, um, and then she's, like, is, you know, just excited about it. And then um, uh, even Jeff says something. And then Drew's like, oh, she's a punk. And then Janie says, do you really think I'm punk? Well, that's outrageous. I mean, it's not as cool as New Wave, but it's a lot better than preteen. <laughs> and it's funny because when she said that, I remember like I think when I was like when I was in high school and like when I had like this wanting to be emo and like that was the face to be emo. I remember my mom said that style reminded her of New Wave. And so when they when I heard that in this movie, I was like, oh, okay, so you know that was it in the eighties. Uh, another scene I love is when um, Lynn and Natalie and them steal the flyer. They end up making a bunch of copies and handing them out to strangers. So when the actual party happens, all these strangers end up crashing it. And at one point, there's like this old couple sitting on the sofa. And these bodybuilder women like pick up the sofa and like turn them around. And then there's like this uh, punk rocker who's walking on the table that has all the food on it. And he ends up getting a turkey stuck on his shoe. And he's trying to like you know, kind of swing the turkey off, but it's stuck on there. So he just continues walking. And um, that seems really cute and fun. And then we have um, the gymnastics class. So Jeff comes to see Janie, right, while she's at school. And Lynn, being the good friend she is, she distracts, tries to distract the nun from, you know, seeing Janie talk to Jeff. And she asks the nun to do this routine on the pommel horse. And so the nun, like, gets real happy, I guess, like, going back to her golden days. And she's on that pommel horse, and she has, like, uh, both of her hands, like, gripped on, like, the little metal bars part. And her, you know, her arms are, like, holding her up, and she's, like, swing, doing this, like, swinging thing around it. And, um... It's sort of like a break. It almost looks like she's break dancing, like on it. It's just, it was so funny because you like a nun, you'll expect them to do stuff like that. So it was like super funny. Um, and then just the scene where they were passing out the flyers, it was super cute because they're like interacting with all these strangers, people that they probably would normal and no, normally not interact with, and they were. And they, that's where you got girls just want to have fun. It's playing in the background. Super cute. Um, and then the final dance off. So when they do make it to DTV and they're competing with the other finalists, there's just some super talented people. Um, one of my favorites was they call themselves the mirror twins and they're just dressed in these like tucks with like the long coats, suits, the long coat 
or I forgot what they're called, but it's like, um, yeah, they're dressed in these long coats and they have like these stockings on, super cute, and they do this really cute dance. And uh, Janie and Jeff, they end up killing their dance. Like their dance is just so freaking good. They end up doing this flip at the end. I mean, everything was just absolutely perfect. And um, one thing I did notice though, the character Natalie, I'm not sure how she even made it. Because literally all she would do is like run and like leap into the dude's arms that she was coupled with. She didn't really do too much dancing. And I was like, how did she even make it? And speaking of that, which I thought was funny in the trivia, uh, Natalie, the uh, the actress Holly, she actually did all her own dancing because she is a professional dancer. But I was confused because I'm like, she didn't do a lot of dancing. It looked like uh Janie or Sarah Jessica Parker's character's body double. Well, I'm not sure if she did all the dances. Probably not. I'm not sure, but they did way more dancing than the professional dancer. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. And then um the point I wanted to bring up, like I said with the movie earlier, I can't this this is one of these this is one of the movies where the music is a bop. A literal jam throughout like the whole film. You're I'm just grooving to it. And I do love 80s music. I love retro music, period. And 80s is a period that I do love their music. Because, like I said, you don't realize. Because it blends in so well. And it's so, it's intertwined. It makes sense. It flows with the story that you don't even, you feel like it was meant to be there. And so some songs in this movie I love. Um, there was Shout. Um, that was performed by Alex Brown. And then it was written by Marty Sharon and Gary Scardina. Uh, then we have Dancing in the Streets, which is originally it's originally written by my girls. And it looks like it's been like redone over and over. Um, it was it was done by Marva. It was done by Martha and the Vandales. But this rendition it was actually sung by uh, Ammunition. I think that's or In Emotion. It was performed by Anna Motion, um, written by William Stevenson, uh, Marvin Gayand, Ivy Joe Hunter. So I'm assuming those are probably the original writers because I know that that was definitely done by Mar Martha and the Vandales. Um, then we have Too Cruel, performed by Amy Hart, written by Amy Hart and Tim Tobias. With, uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out how's it go. Wake up the neighborhood, wake up the neighborhood, performed by Holland, and then uh, written by Tom Holland, Joey uh, Setner, Mike Bateo. Um, On the Loose, performed by Chris Farin, written by Glenn Frey and Jack Timchin. I Can Fly, performed by Rainey, written by Duncan Payne, Mark Holding, Don Grady, Lori Riley. Uh, then we have Dancing in Heaven, uh, performed by Q Field, written by Martin Page and Brian Fairweather. Technique, okay, that was my GM at the end. And then when they, there's this one person like, technique, technique, and they're doing like they're flipping. <sighs> like, really, if you watch this movie, pay attention to the soundtrack. It is a clear bop. Clearly a bop. And you know what? That is definitely all that I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
I enjoy doing this episode. I love talking about these movies. And you know what? The show is over. The credits are rolling. And I'll see you guys at the next show time.